Threadbare, the podcast where I talk to you about the realities of the textile industries. Good morning everybody and welcome to episode 5 of my podcast Threadbare. Thank you so much for joining me and spending time with me today. To start the show, I would like to thank all of the people who support my benefits program. Thank you to all of you who leave a contribution for me on Patreon, uh, whether it's on the $1 tier or on the $25 tier, I appreciate it so very, very much. Anything and every contribution is so deeply meaningful to me because it means that I can continue to produce quality learning content that everybody can benefit from. Uh, I deal with a lot of people who really can't afford uh, extra learning and extra services and your contributions help me to help others who really can't afford uh, extra learning and uh, in this way we uplift the whole world uh, your well-being and my well-being uh, create well-being for others too so thank you for having the courage and the generosity to co-create this new reality with me where we create value for each other with you adding a financial contribution to Patreon and me adding a whole bunch of learning value for all of you. Thank you for being a part of that system. I appreciate it very, very much. For those of you who are following the Upcycled Cloth Collective, we reached 58,000 members last night, last week. It was really, really exciting. And we celebrated with our usual, usual Chocolate Day celebrations. Now, Chocolate Day is a, a tradition that we have from the early days of the community. When I first started the group, I would get excited if... Uh, we had a hundred new members joining us and I would sit down at my laptop and celebrate by eating chocolate every time I saw our numbers tick over to a new round bigger number and uh, eventually I started sharing it with the community and, and every 500 new members that we added we'd eat chocolate and celebrate and create a vibe and I've carried that forward even as the group has grown into much bigger numbers uh, they can sometimes be more impersonal. Uh, we continue with our tradition of Chocolate Day. So every time we tick over another big round number, we all celebrate by eating treats and sharing gifts and sharing pictures of upcycled hearts and just generally celebrating uh, the fact that our cause is growing so successfully. After all, we are here to reduce textile and fiber waste in the landfill. And if we really are serious about that, then we really have to be serious about growing our cause as fast as we can. So I'm super excited about our growth and um, I'm, I'm very excited about where the community is going. We've just taken on a new intake of volunteers uh, for our admin team 
and we are training up some brave new admin members who are stepping in to help us grow the groups. We can always, always use new admin members simply because we, we keep adding groups uh, to add value for our, our members. So, you know, a while back, uh, conversations kept coming up around pricing, product pricing. Members kept asking, I don't know what to charge for my product pricing. So we created a, a, a little group dedicated to that conversation. We periodically have... Uh, Issues of copyright come up in the main group because it's such a big and busy group with people sharing so freely. Uh, and because of that, we've started a little copyright group on the side dedicated to the conversation about copyright so that uh, we've got some added value for our members who want broader conversations about specific things. So as we keep adding groups, of course, we need volunteers to help to moderate those groups. And um, more volunteers just help us to do more. So, so sometimes we have people say, oh, well, you know, I've, I've got five groups and I manage them all on my own, not realizing that the Upcycle Cloth community, collective community, already has more than 30 groups in our family supporting various regions, supporting specific cities and towns and um, wherever our members want to really dig in and, and do some work, supporting charities that use upcycled fabrics to raise funds and that kind of thing. So we've got a whole bunch of supporting structures so that, that we can really do more into our communities. Uh, we're not just a little Facebook group. We really are a community of volunteers that's digging in and doing more. What you see on Facebook is, is really just the mechanism we use for organizing all of those things that we're up to at the moment. So thank you to each and every one of you who is a member of the Upcycle Cloth Collective. I appreciate it so very, very much. Uh, I, I, I don't know how to thank all of you. Um, the movement is, is only as meaningful as it is because we have numbers on our side. So thank you for adding your weight and your voice to those numbers so that the wider world can begin to hear our message. You know, it's not just time to upcycle fabrics and learn to reuse them. It's also time to change our buying behavior. It's time to change our language. It's time to change our attitudes towards ownership. It's time to change our attitudes towards waste and what waste means. Really, there, there is no uh, throwing away. There is no away. Once you've bought it, you've, you've taken ownership for it and it's yours. So uh, thank you for joining us in this brave social experiment. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for being one of the everyday heroes on the leading edge of social change. I appreciate it so much that you're out there fighting this good fight with me.
I'm very excited to announce that I finally launched the new course. Uh, it's come in a little bit late in the month. Uh, I am squeaking in in the 11th hour just before we get into September. Uh, and I did manage to finish the new course that I promised my uh, patrons in the benefits program this month in time for my deadline this month. I must apologize that it's been a little bit late. Uh, we found a buyer for our house so we're in the throes of packing and I've also had some health challenges recently so um, I'm not quite firing on all cylinders. Things have been a little bit behind uh, and that course is ready and waiting for all of you. Uh, the patrons on the $15 tier and the $25 tier would have received it by now. If you have not and you are on one of those tiers, please get in touch with me so that I can make sure you can get access to that new course. So for those who, of you who are not on the benefits program, the new course that I launched this month is one that helps you to shift the language uh, that is currently driving behaviors around current consumer culture. Uh, there are certain underlying core cultural uh, assumptions that live in the language that actually drive how we behave. Uh, things like uh, the customer is always right. Uh, things like it's a good thing to get the best price for products. These kinds of assumptions uh, drive behaviors where uh, fast fashion has become desirable at the lowest price, no matter what the cost to the humans who produce it or the environment that the resources come from. So this course is all about changing the language and trying to create new stories and new ways of, of using words to, to help us to talk a new textile reality into being. So uh, I'm, I'm really hoping you enjoy this new course. Uh, it will be available to the general public, uh, people who are not my patrons, from November. So my patrons get early access to all of my latest information and all of my latest courses uh, which I then roll out at a later date to the general public. So if you're not a part of the benefits program and you would like to access this course just hang around for a little while and in November it will be available on the Thinkific platform so uh, you will be able to get it there. And uh, if you are looking for my online courses please just send me a message at info at dieandprince.co.za that's I-N-F-O at D-Y-E-A-N-D-P-R-I-N-T-S dot C-O dot Z-A and just let me know that you would be interested in my online courses and I'll send you the link that will take you to the whole selection that you can then browse through and find the courses that you like. I've got a whole bunch of online courses that you might be interested in on a wide range of topics uh, including different methods for dyeing fabrics, different methods for printing fabrics and different methods for upcycling fabrics. 
Then I've also got courses that support your process if you're struggling to work out what you should be charging for your products. I've got a, a course that will help you to build up your own formula for working out what you should be charging for your products. So there's a whole bunch of useful information on there for you to use. If you are interested, just pop me a mail and I will send you the link to the course selection. Otherwise, you can go to my website at www.dyandprince.co.za That's D-Y-E-A-N-D-P-R-I-N-T-S dot C-O dot Z-A and uh, just go to the page where I have my online courses, click through to that link and that will also take you to the selection quite easily. Thank you to all of you who support my online courses. I appreciate it so very, very much. Now to answer some listener questions. Zoe Craggs asks, Although the recycled materials might be cheap, it is also a one-off. So what is its value? Do you include the time you took to find it? This is Zoe's question about product pricing. She makes uh, products out of upcycled fabrics and she's asking whether uh, it's fair to include the time she took to find those fabrics in her product pricing. So a lot of makers don't actually include their time in their pricing properly. Uh, a lot of makers will go, well, it took me this long to make something and, and they'll just look at the time that that actual item was in their hands for without thinking about all the time that it's taken to source everything. And the reality is that if uh, you haven't put that time into your price sum, then it means that that time you're actually giving away for free. Uh, if, if you're not charging your customer for it, then you're doing it for free. So it is quite important that you do actually include that time in your pricing sum when you work out what you charge for your products. Especially if it takes you long to source materials. And I would challenge that people who are working with upcycled materials should actually have a much higher time cost for the things that they're making than people who are working with new materials. Simply because it takes so much longer to select deconstruct, clean, cut, trim and prepare fabrics from an upcycled source. Uh, it just takes so much more time than walking into a store and buying new fabric off a roll. So I really feel that people who are making products from upcycled fabrics should actually be charging more for their products simply because uh, their products are taking a little bit more time for them to make. Uh, 
Now, I know this is a very, very scary thought for a lot of people because uh, many people making products from upcycled resources are making them a little bit cheaper for people to get people to buy them and saying, well, please buy this, it's cheap, it's made from upcycled resources. Uh, and while that's all very well and good and it makes people feel all soft and fluffy about buying your item, uh, the reality is that you're selling yourself short. Uh, at the end of the day, you are not going to make the money that you need to cover all your bills. Uh, and then when that happens, those customers who walked away feeling all fluffy about their purchase are not are not going to have any sympathy for you. If you then try to say to them, you know, I can't afford to pay my bills, they're going to say, well, why were you such an idiot to sell it to me so cheap? So you must, must, must have the courage to stand on your value. And, and every tiny little thing that you do and every tiny little thing that you supply must be factored into your pricing. A lot of maker sellers overlook so many tiny things. I know I used to be guilty of it uh, when I first started my business too, where I'd go, oh, well, it's just a thumb, thumb suck. I only have to factor in the big items. The little things will just take care of themselves in the cracks. And what happens is that those little things, if there are many of them, can add up to quite a lot. And if you don't factor them in, and if you don't have an awareness for what they actually cost you, it's very, very easy to run a little business at a loss without actually realizing it. Uh, uh, I always say to small businesses, you know, there are some signs uh, that your pricing might be might be incorrect um, and some of these signs to look for are the following are you working longer and longer hours to make ends meet are you giving up holidays to make ends meet uh, and and if if your answer is yes to these two things then there's a very very strong chance that you are charging too little for your products um, because then the only way to compensate for for that shortfall of your needs is to then try to work longer and longer hours and and sadly this is a very short-sighted solution um, it's it's one I tried myself as an entrepreneur I, I saw my father throw himself into the gap as a business person, he would just work longer hours. He'd just work nights. So uh, I thought that, that was the way you did it. Uh, if if your business needed more money, you threw yourself into the gap. And and sadly, this model is unsustainable because at some point, the inevitable result is burnout. And when you burn out, you can't work at all. You can't support your family at all. You can't help anybody. And then you become a drain on those people who rely on you the most to look after them. So uh, I really do think it's very, very dangerous for maker sellers to, to fudge their numbers and to just say, oh, well, that's a small amount. I'm not going to factor it in. It doesn't matter. Write down all of those small amounts that you're ignoring and you'll see that they actually might add up to quite a big chunk and that you might be losing a lot more money than you realize. Uh, the, the 
my best recommendation is to write it down write it all down and and I know that's where it becomes scary and I know this is how the process goes because this is how it went for me I started to write down all of the things uh, that needed to be factored into my pricing and of course we start with the things that we know uh, and those are the big easy obvious amounts like raw materials and maybe fuel or your overheads and things like that uh, and then you start to itemize things on the list that you're not sure of you don't have the answers for so why do you why write them down because you don't have a number for that or the number is complicated to work out and that will be things like time cost how much time did it take how much should I be charging for my time because uh, time is something that's very easy to just kind of fudge into the spaces it's invisible really uh, on the books so um, it's very easy to try and compensate in the time space uh, and then what happens is you get to the stuff that you really just don't know where you go oh should I be factoring in this thing and how how do I factor this thing in um, and that will be things like customer discounts you know when a customer asks you for a discount how, how do you factor it into your sum where do you take it from uh, which part of the numbers that are already there do you take it from or add it to you know where does it make sense so what very often happens is that by the time a maker seller has made a list of all of these things together the price that you're looking at to charge for your products is so daunting and so high you know that none of your existing customers will pay for it and then uh, most people just uh, just uh, give up and very often go into a long period of depression I know I certainly did at this point in the process and my depression lasted years so don't feel bad if you get stuck for years on this please don't beat yourself up with guilt uh, one of the reasons I'm teaching this material is because it is so excruciatingly difficult for many people to break this cycle it it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where the worse it gets the worse it gets and the more embarrassed we get the more embarrassed we get and the more paralyzed we are to act the more paralyzed we are to act so uh, my role I believe is to encourage maker sellers to just sit down write it down look at it and if you're feeling uncomfortable with it sit with that discomfort be okay with the discomfort learn to be okay with this discomfort and learn to look again even when it feels horrible and makes you feel sick to your stomach uh, the more you become familiar with it and the more you make it your friend the more you can work through those sickening feelings into a space of feeling empowered and a space of understanding because when you really understand your numbers it's very empowering uh, you know if you know that your product is is too expensive for the people you're currently selling them to it can help you to understand uh, possibly who you need to be selling to how you could shift to a, a market that can afford your products uh, it might inform oh well my, maybe it's time to trim your product take some of the kind of the luxury out of it uh, find out where you're over servicing your customers and, and give them kind of a more stripped down version 
that justifies the price they're willing to pay. Uh, there's a whole lot of learning that comes from numbers like that. Or maybe, you know what, I really can't realistically feed my kids selling this stuff. It's better to know that early on in the process than six months down the line when you've, when you've had to give a bunch of feeble excuses to your kids that you don't buy yourself. So I would encourage all maker sellers to sit down and, and don't ignore any number. There is no number that is not important. If you can think of it as a, as a factor that might affect your pricing, write it down on your pricing worksheet. Whether you did on a piece of paper or in an Excel sheet or, or wherever, write it down so you can see it, so you can see what it looks like. So, Zoe, uh, I hope that answers your question. Um, and also, uh, you said that you're making once-offs. Once-offs really should, uh, you should charge more money for that. Uh, cheap is, is buying mass-produced. You know, people expect to walk into a retail store and buy something very cheap that they know that somewhere in a factory somebody's churned out 10,000 of these and everybody's wearing the same thing. So uh, if you're making one off one of a kind, you should certainly charge a premium price for it. Uh, uh, people should not, you know, the other danger of, of over-servicing people and giving them real custom products at a cheap price is that they then begin to expect that of everybody creating custom work and then it forces everybody to work for virtual slave labor. Uh, it's setting a very bad example for customers and others. So uh, it's not just looking after yourself, it's looking after the whole industry when you stand on your pricing. So yeah, I hope that answered your question for you, Zoe. Product pricing is a topic that comes up quite a lot with maker-sellers uh, on the social networks. Uh, we so often see people post beautiful things that they've made and then they say, I really don't know what to charge for this. And uh, there's always somebody who's ready to tell them that they're too expensive or too cheap. And it can be a very, very confusing space uh, to work in. Most maker-sellers start with their product pricing by asking their customers and their friends what they're prepared to pay for it. And in my experience, that's not the best place to begin because uh, customers have their own best interests at heart and friends very often just don't know. So I, I don't think that those are, are necessarily the greatest sources to begin with your product pricing and also I'm quite a practical person and I think that product pricing should be grounded firmly in reality so and here product pricing is connected to what is it for you know why is product pricing important 
And product pricing is important because you want to pay your bills at the end of the month. That's what it's connected to. Uh, your pricing is connected directly to your ability to pay your bills at the end of the month. And because of that, I believe that uh, the amount of money that you need to pay your bills at the end of the month is actually the place where you should begin working out your product pricing. Now, I, I know that's a bit backwards from what most people uh, say. Most people w who teach systems for product pricing will say, well, um, you kind of start with your raw materials and then you build on that, you add your time and you add on that and you add all the different things in that you need. Uh, and then you work out from there what your product needs to cost. And then you work out from there what you need to sell it for. And then you work out from there how many you need to sell to to be able to make a living. And uh, I find that this process has a lot of what ifs in it and a lot of homework to do before the person doing it actually gets to that jarring reality check of okay is this going to be enough money for me to live on so uh, when I teach people how to work out their product pricing I, I try to start with the jarring reality which is what do you need to live and let's work from there and uh, even this will be a different starting point for different people and this is also why product pricing as a general conversation can be so fraught with confusion because people have very different needs so for example somebody who's living in a house that is paid off who has a reasonable pension and only wants to sell their craft products so that they can pay for some of the materials that they bought so that they can then maybe make some more crafts has a, a very different reason for selling and very different needs of the process to say for example a, a single mother who is hoping to feed her children that week from the proceeds of her product sales uh, and when you frame it that way you can see that that product pricing uh, is a matter of life and death to some people and um, kind of a frivolous thing to others and that will uh, that difference will really depend on kind of where you are in life and, and what sort of circumstances you find yourself in, uh, social, financial, uh, and environmental circumstances, will all uh, create a different framework for different people when it comes to this. So I really recommend that make a sellers start right at the beginning with, start with your why. Why are you doing this? What is your need? How urgent is your need? Uh, and then start there. If your need is very, very urgent and you've got to pay your kids off this, then uh, pay for your kids' school fees and food and medical bills and all of that. And you have that kind of daily urgency to make money from what you're selling. Then I really, really recommend that you first start with your costs. What do you need to make your whole sum work?
so that you can pay for your school fees, your food, your, all the things that you need. And then from there, you sit down with that uh, reality pill and you say, okay, if I've got these products that I'm selling for this price now, how many do I need to sell to make this number happen? And uh, if if that conversation then leads you to the conclusion that there's no way that you can make and sell enough of of your items in your waking day to make that number that you need, then you know for sure you either have to change your products or up your pricing or do something radical. So I just find that working from there can sometimes short circuit things for people. Um, it can be very tempting to go down a long rabbit hole of research of tweaking numbers and fine-tuning numbers and finding how much everything costs down to the cent to avoid getting to that point where you go, okay, this really is not affordable and what am I going to do about this? So I encourage maker-sellers to start with needs first. Do a needs analysis first and then work backwards from there. And that will help you to get to realistic pricing a whole lot quicker. Uh, my guess is that the process is going to be excruciatingly uncomfortable for you. Not because I hold any judgment of where you stand. Uh, only because I know that that's, that's the pain that was my barrier to entry to facing these things for myself. Uh, I know how very, very difficult it can be to break the numbers down and eat that reality pull, especially if you're making something that you really, really love and enjoy making, to say, you know what, this is not paying my bills, this is not serving my greater good, um, why am I doing this, you know, it... There's always the story people always say, you know, if you if you love your work, then it doesn't matter if you're making money, and that's just not true. Because if you love your work and it doesn't serve you financially and it causes you to be standing on the outside looking in of the financial system, of the system of people around you who are self-reliant because they're earning enough money to do what they want to do and you just cannot do those things because you're just not self-reliant enough to make it happen. Um, that sitting on the outside looking in by exclusion uh, is very very difficult um, and and it's really a, a situation that is is self-created and self-fulfilled the only person who can break the cycle is you uh, so you have to have to sit down and come to terms with these uncomfortable things if you want to get your pricing right uh, and if you want to do right by your family and your kids and if you're just making crafts for fun and selling them for fun, then it doesn't have to be heavy at all. Uh, and maybe if you are sitting in that place, you might consider how your cheap pricing might affect those around you for whom it is life and death. You know, if, if you sell your products very cheaply, then it sets an expectation for customers that all products should be cheap. And, and that is going to affect people around you who really need to make more out of their products uh, so that they can feed their kids and, and pay some real bills. So if you are selling products really cheap because you can afford to, because you've, you've got excess in your system somewhere else, please think about how your cheap pricing might also impact on others who are also selling in the same system. I know it might feel greedy to you, 
to put your prices up and then take more money because you've already got an excess in your system but uh, your low pricing might actually be affecting others around you so just think about that you know we, we don't work in isolation everything we do and every choice we make has an effect on others while I'm talking about product pricing I would also uh, like to touch just on the fact that we tend to be very different humans in very different postures uh, when when we do product pricing exercises in the product pricing group that I have on Facebook um, people are very quick to defend themselves and say well you know someone came in and did this and they were so rude and they expected me to work for nothing and then when I, I do surveys and polls and I ask well how do you behave as a customer do you demand best price do you demand that you're always right um, very often uh, people when they self-reflect realize that that they might be behaving the same way so if you would like people to honor your pricing that you charge for your products then I would challenge you to go out and do the same when you're out uh, at a market buying something from somebody who's made something handmade don't haggle about the price don't ask for a discount uh, maybe offer them a tip for a change say geez this is nice I think it's worth more can I give you something extra imagine how that would make them feel because maker sellers are always pummeled by people looking for discounts who expect them to 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 just give a little because you know time is cheap and you're just sitting here at the market you don't have a real job so uh, maybe try being that customer that you would like to encounter who says gosh that's a fair price uh, let me pay you for it so just some awareness about uh, your own behavior and about my own behavior I used to be the most ghastly customer and the more I teach these things the more I'm ashamed of how I have behaved in the past so yeah awareness comes with age uh, I'm sure we've all got things that we did when we were younger that we go oh my god I'm just gonna cringe every time I think about that anyway so I hope this was useful for you uh, I hope there was some learning in this for you I would love to hear your feedback uh, if you have anything to say if this has been useful or not useful or anything like that please let me know I would love to hear feedback from all of you in any way whether you catch me on Facebook or in my mailbox or on any of the social platforms just uh, give me a yell shout out tag me say to me Melanie I found this useful um, I'd love to hear from you thanks for listening Some of you have asked me to speak about ethical dyeing processes and um, I, I find this a, um, a conversation that I need to word carefully because I don't truly believe that there is any truly truly 
ethical way of colouring cloth in the purest sense of the word. I would like to reframe the conversation more along the lines of we can be more mindful and we can be less mindful. So in a less mindful world uh, we die whatever we want to, whenever we want to, using whatever we want to and we dispose the chemicals into the wider environment in whichever way we choose. In a more mindful way, world, I ask myself first, do I need to dye this? If so, what is the most um, mindful way I could do this? And how could I reduce my waste? And how can I dispose of my waste in a more mindful way? So there is no ethical there is only more or less mindful. As human beings, we cannot escape our footprint. We cannot escape uh, leaving a mark behind uh, of our lives. And it's up to us whether that mark is going to be an ugly scratch on the landscape or whether it's in some way going to beautify the world around us. And it seems to be a, a lifetime's process of learning to awaken enough to understand what it really means. In my 20s and 30s, when I was mass producing uh, dyed and printed garments for the fashion industry in South Africa, I like to think of myself as um, an ethical and mindful producer because I did try to uh, green many of my processes and use less and uh, just uh, work more carefully with resources and all of that and in the end I realized that as long as I'm mass producing there's no way I can kid myself that um, I'm doing anything but polluting the planet. We are now at a point in history where we have to as individuals say I'm going to use only what I need and no more if we really want to make any kind of an impact on the wider world around us. Um, I, I could get into some of my personal thoughts uh, on these issues and I am wary uh, to delve too deeply into some of them for fear of the, of the backlash that I might receive. Uh, some of some of my most personal thoughts on these issues I really still keep to myself uh, because I know that they, they are fraught with uh, the potential to inflame and upset and offend people so you know I, I believe that the the journey to mindfulness is is a personal one I believe the journey to ethics is a personal one if if you want to to be that way and if you if you it's important to you to live that way then the the only person who can kind of be a judge of your standard of how you're doing it is you it's really not up to others to say what your standard looks like we all do the best we can within our physical environmental social and financial frameworks and there's an infinite range of differences of those frameworks around the world. What works for one person really 
might not work for another. So it's up to each one of us as individuals to say, what is that? What do I need to get through life? Uh, how how do I get just enough of what I need without taking advantage of others? And uh, how can I be mindful about what excess is and what excess looks like? And how can I be mindful about producing less excess that's just going to go to waste? So, uh, yeah, they, 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 in my mind, there just are no ethical practices. I understand that a lot of people are trying to focus on finding natural dye stuffs um, to replace man-made dye stuffs, feeling that they are a more ethical choice environmentally. And if you listen to episode three or episode four, uh, of my podcast, you will hear. I've got I've got a long, long, long explanation in that podcast of of why I believe that man-made and natural dyes, one is not better than the other. They serve different purposes in the marketplace, and um, they both have the ability to create vast and enormous amounts of pollution if used on a large scale. So it really is about the scale of things that we do. You know, if if you're going to dye one thing in your home, you can use almost anything on it. But if, if you're going to make a hundred or a thousand, then then it's really going to start to have an impact. And you know, on the flip side, you can also say if you've got a thousand people all just dying one thing in an unmindful way, that's also going to have a huge impact. So we all need to start breaking down every single step of what we do and and measuring and weighing for value, you know, is this is there a better way? Is there another way that I can do this? And then uh, a story perhaps that might be useful for you. Uh, some of you might know that uh, I had a, a business selling tie-dyed kits for 15 years where I actually sold chemicals and when I started the upcycled cloth collective it was my core business uh, it was my core revenue stream that's how I paid my bills and about a year into running the upcycled cloth collective I, I started running into the mire of my own ethics where I found it almost impossible to to get out of bed in the morning and and ask people and invite people to join this journey of bravely trying to to change the narrative around textiles and how we use and value them while at the same time running this kind of completely at odds narrative of please buy my chemicals and throw them into the ground, have some fun with them in a frivolous kind of way. So after a period, I made a very, very difficult decision and um, I actually gave my chemical business away. A lot of people have said to me, I'm crazy, I should have sold it for money because it was a going concern. It was a, a business that I'd had for 15 years and it was a, a label and a brand that is loved by many people around Southern Africa um, 
And when I was faced with it, I was looking at it and I was saying, okay, so what are the ethics of this? I don't want this anymore. I I don't want to make, I'm not no longer comfortable making money off selling chemicals. Then I'm just a part of the problem. And if I sell this business for money, then I continue to benefit off it financially. Uh, and I continue the hypocrisy. And, and so I gave it away. Um, and the reason I gave it away and I didn't completely kill it is because one of my stockists has been using the kits very successfully uh, for social good to to uh, make t-shirts for children in charities, in non-profits and in orphanages uh, so that they've got beautiful, shiny rainbow keepsakes. She actually goes into some of these organizations and makes them with the children so that uh, kids experience a wow moment as they make their own rainbow colored tie-dye t-shirts. So because a friend of mine was using the whole system very successfully and very in a very beautiful way to continue the work that I started into charities and non-profits um, I decided to to allow that part of the work to continue and I just handed the label over to her. So, uh, yeah, if you're looking for answers about ethical decisions, I, I don't really have any easy ones. I can tell you it was an excruciatingly difficult decision for me. And I can tell you that I've I've questioned the decision several times since then because I'm still today in the throes of trying to make up the revenue gap that I threw myself into. Uh, for the sake of an ethical decision, I took away my my functional income, which was a very, very scary thing to do. And I'm still paying the price <laughs> because... I still haven't managed to get uh, my online courses and my Patreon uh, contributions up to any anywhere near the levels that business was supplying for me to pay my bills. So I've had to do a lot of explaining to my family. Uh, luckily, my partner Pete is behind me all the way on this one. Um, he's all for the environment and he said to me, Mel, you're doing the right thing. I'm going to back you on this one. So he's been very kind. Uh, if it wasn't for his kindness, I would not have been able to make this brave and ethical move that I'm making right now. You know, it's very easy to be eth ethical when you have the financial space to do so. So yeah, thank you, Peter Hanbury, for, for enabling that in my life. I hope this conversation has helped you with your ethical dilemmas, although I suspect maybe not uh, maybe give me some feedback I'd love to hear your thoughts after you've listened to this part of my show so pop me a message on Facebook or in my mailbox or anywhere where you can find me and get hold of me and just let me know what you think about what I've said uh, about ethical dying processes
One of the other things I thought it might be worth talking about on the show is uh, shifting business phases. A lot of people start making products and selling them and find themselves in business without realizing that they're in business. And um, then do that for a long time. And then one day find that what they've been doing for a long time no longer works for them anymore. And then they kind of hang on and hang on until the business dies a miserable death around them. And um, this was something that was quite surprising to me over my career as an entrepreneur. I, I really had no idea how many times I would reinvent this thing in 25 years. And if you told me back then how many times I would reinvent this thing, I, I would <laughs> I would likely not have even embarked on the journey because I would have been way too frightened. And I would have found it a little far-fetched, actually. So uh, my business has been through many incarnations. And uh, the important thing is to understand for yourself when you need to shift and why. So just to give you some idea uh, of all the incarnations that my particular business has been through, in 1993, I started selling tie-dyed garments that I would uh, buy ready-made garments, dye them and sell them at markets. Uh, and I did that for about eight years. Uh, until the market started getting very slow and very quiet and also I was physically burned out because I was doing that thing that I was talking about earlier in the show of working harder and harder because my my pricing didn't go up in those eight years enough to to cover rising costs. Then when I, I recovered from the burnout and I went back into things I was producing uh, high-end custom textiles for the fashion industry where I would make bespoke fabrics for fashion designers. They would say to me they wanted specific finishes, colors and prints and that kind of thing. And I would produce them on demand in whatever color and pattern they wanted. And uh, that was another incarnation of the business. Then I've, I've also created an incarnation as a writer and I've published a couple of books. I have uh, lived an incarnation as a traveling craft teacher where I drove around Southern Africa in my car teaching people all over the country for six years where I really just uh, immersed myself in training and teaching people and teaching as many people as I could and learning to become a better teacher. Uh, I've reinvented the business as online courses. Uh, I, I'm now taking the, the training into the social networks. And if you had told me that it, in 1993 that tie-dye would take me on this journey, I would have said to you, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, I, I would not have imagined it. So be open to change. Be open to creating new things, to creating new products. Don't expect your business to stay the same. And when your gut tells you to move, move. Don't wait too long. That's, that's possibly the only piece of advice I can give you because I, I can't really tell you 
what makes me know that it's time for a change? I, I know that it's something I do very instinctively in my business, where some little voice deep down inside of me says, Mel, I think you should be exploring this and, and go and look at some other things. And I'm so grateful that I did because my entrepreneurial journey has been an amazing journey of self-discovery and every layer that I peel open teaches me something new about myself uh, that is, is magical and wonderful to learn and empowering uh, because I, I at, at my age now know how to do so many more things than I did 25 years ago and it really gives me the confidence to do so much more because uh, of all of these experiences. So be ready to change your business. If you start with a great idea and you find that nobody wants to buy it, uh, have the courage and the humility to change your ideas and make things that people really want. Because uh, it doesn't help you make things that people don't want and then you can't make a living and you resent people for not buying what you have. Uh, it just creates a, an embittered life cycle. That's, that's no fun. Whereas if you are open to change and you listen to what people want and you can begin to make products that people really want to buy and are excited about giving you money for, then it creates a more positive life experience cycle of win-win of for everybody in the game. So be courageous about changing things if you need to, when you need to. Listen to your gut. Don't stifle that little voice. If it's telling you to get a move on and do some new things, listen. And be courageous and adventurous. Try new things. Uh, this podcast didn't exist a year ago. And if you told me that I would turn everything into a podcast uh, in 1993, I would have said, you crazy. Me, a radio show about tie-dye? Now that's pretty far-fetched. And here we are. So... Yeah, go on that brave adventure, try some brave things and ask me your questions. I'm here to cheer you on. I'm your cheerleader to say you can do it. I know you can and I'm with you every step of the way. Do you enjoy listening to the show without irritating ads and jangling jingles in between? If you do, uh, you can help me to keep it this way by supporting me on Patreon. Uh, I would prefer to keep this, this show low-key and personal, a uh, little personal conversation like this. I don't enjoy podcasts that have too many ads myself. So... Um, if you would like to keep the show uh, friendly and personal and and just a little conversation like it is, then support me on Patreon so I can afford to keep it going this way without having to uh, bring in sponsors to make the show more jangly and noisy. And um, yeah, then I can keep it this way. 
I appreciate it so much uh, that you are helping me to co-create this show and yeah, together we can do so much more. I would like to thank all of you who listened to the end of the show. I always leave a little gift at the end for those of you who listen the whole way. So if you did listen the whole way, please send me an email that says, I listened to the end. And I will send you a downloadable design that you can use for your craft products projects. So send me that email to info at dieandprince.co.za That's I-N-F-O at D-Y-E-A-N-D-P-R-I-N-T-S dot C-O dot Z-A and in the tagline put the words I listened to your show right to the end and I will respond by sending you one of my designs that you can download and use for your craft projects. I appreciate it so much that you spend time with me and this is your little reward for listening to my whole show. I hope you enjoy it. If you have questions that you would like me to answer in my next show, please send them through. I will gather questions on all the social networks. So if you want to speak to me on Upcycle Cloth Collective or on my personal Facebook page, uh, on the Threadbare page on Facebook, or through my mailbox at info at dieandprince.co.za, you can contact me anywhere with your questions and I would love to answer them here on the next show. By adding your questions, I'm able to add content that you really are interested in and they can help you to learn. Uh, I'd really like to help you on your personal journey to run a better craft business uh, and also with your journey to upcycle fabrics. Thank you for spending time with me. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're looking for me on the social networks, you'll find me all over the place at Die and Prince. That's D-Y-E-A-N-D-P-R-I-N-T-S. On YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, 
Facebook. Find me at Diane Prince. I'd really love to hear from you.